Torah Resource presents the Rob and Caleb Show. All aboard! And now, from two sides of the same state, here they are, Rob and Caleb. What up and shalom. Welcome to the Rob and Caleb Show. My name is Caleb Hag. With me... As always, a Rob Van Hoff. What up, Hoff? How's it going, brother? Going well. Yeah. Caleb, I, I, like I said earlier, I have to call you Cello <laughs> because now you are taking on instructing other souls in the arts of cello. The youth of, of Tacoma. I think that's really great. That's really great. If you don't know what uh, the Hoff is talking about, I started giving cello lessons this past week. Many people might not know that I have uh, dabbled in the art of the cello since the age of six years old. Uh, so that's about 10 years. <laughs> ah, ha ha. Yes, very good. Let's see here. Where's my, uh, I, I need a comedy drum. <laughs> okay, 20. <laughs> um, <laughs> what up in Shalom to everybody out there and what up in Shalom to everybody in the chat room. It looks like we got a nice, good group. Hey, Stephanie Grable's in there. Good to see everybody. Anyway, okay. Uh, yeah, what up and shalom to everybody. We're happy that you're tuning in with us, whether it is live on Wednesday morning or later on YouTube or just listening to it on TR Radio at a later date. We're happy that you're listening. We hope that you have fun. This show, The Robin Caleb Show, is brought to you by TorahResource.com. Go to Torah Resource to find all things uh Biblical, messianic, whatever, you know, uh, articles, free articles, uh, videos, different books, different products you can purchase, you can download all sorts of free stuff. Really, it is a center hub for uh, for biblical studies. And uh, so, yeah, and not only that, but you can also take classes at Torah Resource Institute. That's right. You can have the Hoff as a professor at uh, Torah Resource Institute. And Caleb, you're going to scare him away. I know. Uh, I am currently enrolled in the three-year certificate program, and I think I'm on my fifth year of that program. <laughs> I'm not joking. And I'm Caleb's pre- a special case. I'm pretty sure I'm going to have to. It's going <laughs> to take me seven years to complete the three-year program. It's uh, it's intense. Yeah. Anyway, uh, you know, I got to say there, one other question. Real quick question. <clears throat> yeah. Are there more TR mugs available? There are TR mugs. You can find them on uh, the on TorahResource.com. Okay. If you go to uh, if you go to TorahResource.com, then go to shop, and then over on the left hand side, once you get to the shop website, uh, you'll see something that says merchandise. I think it says merchandise, and uh, mugs are in there along with other things. We need we need to get some uh, some shirts or something. I don't know. Maybe we should have a contest. Vote for for what you want the TR logo on. I'm sure uh, the people in the chat room could come up with some very interesting things. What do we okay, okay, cuz this gets to product merchandise and we I don't know if anybody looked on our on our Facebook page last night. I oh man, that was great. That was great. Of I I a good friend of mine teaches music at Moody Bible Spokane. Is it cello? And, Does he teach cello? No, no, it's uh it's uh <laughs> like introduction to music or something like nice, that. Nice, okay. 
and history music. It's kind of a blend, and it's a required course. So every Whoa. semester, he's got like 40 students. Nice. Well, since 2010 almost, he's uh, 2011 maybe because we moved here in 2010. So basically almost for four or five years, every semester, he has me come and do either one – it's like a two-and-a-half-hour lecture – interactive lecture with the students on music in the Bible. We go over uh, Hebrew poetry, parallelisms. It should be noted, before you go on, it should be noted that the Hoff is quite an accomplished musician. Uh, he, uh, did you major in guitar? I, initially, yes, but then I ended up just getting a minor because I shifted to Hebrew. Yeah, So, but his uh, his... his Guitar playing uh, skills are out of this world, and not only that, but his songwriting skills. You know, we sing a couple of your songs at the congregation that I attend on Shabbat. Cool. Yeah. Yeah, you guys do it better than we do it. I don't, I don't know if that's no, true. It, anyway. Keep going. So I love, the, I love doing this. A good friend of mine teaches a class. He's like, he, he always pumps it up. So I have this two-and-a-half to three-hour lecture with basically, you know, it could be 30 to 40 kids. These are all like 20-year-old moody Bible student kids. Bright-eyed and, so and bushy-tailed. So I, I, just to give you an example of what I do, I play for them a couple clips because one of the things we talk about is the Word of God in popular culture. So one of the things I play them is Barbra Streisand singing the Lord's Prayer. <laughs> and I don't tell them in advance who it is. You know, it's just amazing performance. Yeah, of it's course. It's on a Christmas album, right? So I said, here's a sacred text for disciples of Jesus, right, of Yeshua, being sung by a Jew who's not a believer, but giving an amazing performance. So I, I have a bunch of these kinds of examples that I throw out there to get to, and it usually gets them popping. You know, they start, everybody's raising their hand, and that's what I want. But anyway, so I, I was heading out the other night from that. This was this, uh, it was this last Monday night, and I see, I'm just checking my phone, walking out to the car, and the first car I dro- walk by in the school parking lot has this bumper sticker. And at the corner of my eye, I saw that it looked like it said Yod Hevavhe, but it, but it's it was not. like, wait a minute, that's not right. So I, I turned back, and there's, I, I wonder what these, because there's students standing outside the, uh, the front door by the school, and they're kind of watching me. I'm like, well, I, I don't know what they're thinking about me, but I'm going to take a picture of this bumper sticker, or, or it's a window sticker that has the Yod Tavav Tav instead of Yod Hevavhe. And I posted it on our face. So if anybody hasn't seen it, go to the Rob and Caleb Facebook. And now, you'll now, see it. I, now we should we should clarify this. The hay and the tav look somewhat similar to the untrained eye. Okay, and sure. well, that's the key here is yeah. untrained eye. And but here's my question because the the whole rabbit trail here is product. This was a, a professionally produced sticker. Oh yeah, yeah. In it's, other words, this wasn't it's something pro. that a guy made and put on the sticker they're probably made a bunch and either gave them away or donations you know give a buck a donation and you get a sticker they're giving them to and everyone at moody bible <laughs> <laughs> but anyway we had some really creative uh, ways of reading it that you can see on the facebook page but here's a question then though is at what point do we if this is another symptom of the same deeper issue but you know what at what point does does do we say oh you've got good intentions but you're wrong but but the product is wrong and misleading and 
and it's it seems that people they they have a what they think is a good intention they have a zeal for something and they jump on it and to where they're actually produce like a product it's out there in the world See, and but, it never went through this other it, it bypassed any corrective mechanism that would have corrected it and that's what I, I'm concerned about. How how does that happen? See, for me, what I'm what I'm saying is that uh, I assume that this is probably a, a well-intentioned Christian. Sure, you know there, and and uh, I, I I think that we're obviously we should correct. Uh, you know, somebody even on on our Facebook page says, uh, you know, I, I basically I'm going to paraphrase. They say, I don't get what the deal is. This is the name of, of Yodhe You know, I, it's right there. It's Yodhe And I wrote back and I said, it certainly is not the name of, of uh, Yodhe Vavhe. Right. Uh, you know, those aren't Hayes. Those are, those are tops. But, you know, so even somebody within the, what I would assume is the, is the, uh, the messianic Hebrew roots movement is still mixing this up. I, I, I understand what you're saying. It's a, it's a, uh, it's a touchy subject. Because you don't it, what what it is what here here's here's kind of the theory behind what I'm getting at and why I think it ties in why it's symptomatic to all these other things many of these things we see is people get a little bit of knowledge they get a little bit of knowledge like Hebrew alphabet let's say but they don't have enough they they don't they're not even a novice they're not they have their competency is not even on their radar they they're just a novice they know just a little bit. But then they take that little bit, jump to a conclusion, and then create a product on that conclusion. And because of internet and accessibility of everything, they get it out there. And so this, what we, would, we want to associate with a well-intentioned effort, creative effort, ends up being you know, a horrible mis- misdirected uh, product in the end, and that's that should scare us. That that we see a lot of that, and that this is in our fallen human nature. That this is what we do. People want to create things. They want to create artifacts or products. They and they want to link them to uh, what they believe is revelation truth. But they're bypassing wisdom. They're bypassing. Uh, learning in a in a proper disciplined uh, environment, and they're trying to to it's like the fast food kind of mentality, trying to do everything by shortcut, trying to you know. Well, and this is ulti- ultimately what this is going to do. Is, I mean, no offense to mainstream Christianity or whatever, but and Messianic Judaism by all means. But what what these kind of things do is that when you have falsehood, that even if it's just slight falsehood that creeps into our doctrine and our theology and whatnot, what ends up happening is is that it makes it gives the other side the ability to refute what we're saying very easily. You know, if you are mixed up on a bunch of these small little details, and the more small little details that come in, if you're mixed up on a bunch of these, all of a sudden when you're talking to someone who's an agnostic or an atheist who's well trained, and they say, "No, that's this is obviously not right because X, Y, Z." You know, they keep proving you wrong on all these small things. What does it do? It makes it makes everyone around you think that you're a moron. Anyway, okay, let's move on. I, you know, I got praise reports. I got praise reports. 
I haven't even told uh, uh, Rob this. Rob, get ready. Because, oh, wait, hang on just a sec. Let's see. Oh, but, okay, the first praise report. I uh, The Lord has really blessed us recently with a couple of people uh, giving to TR Radio for some upgrades and whatnot. One of those things that was given is, I, now I use a soundboard. I use uh, a specific soundboard. Um, and that's how I can just press a button and things like this happen. Read your Bible is interpreted by experts. Okay, so I use a soundboard, and uh, I was able to purchase the soundboard uh, so that I don't have to use the the fake version. And not only that, but it came at the time when they made me buy it. So anyway, so now I have this soundboard. It's mine now. And uh, so I can start some music like that. And uh, look at what I got, Rob. Let's 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 both hold them yes. up together. So so for those who can't see what's going on, I will I will do this. I'll flip through it. That's the phone book like manual of the SBL annual meetings 2015 November 21st to 24th in Atlanta, Georgia. This thing is a monster. This is absolutely insane. Have you looked through it a lot, Rob? Uh just Barely trying to start charting out some of my preferences. Here's one of the bummers. There's a there's a whole review of this new book that I'm excited about. What's the by, book? Uh, as there's a session, um, and it's at the same and and one of the authors that well, the book I ordered the book. It, it's supposed to be here like today or tomorrow. Anyway, I ordered this book a month ago or whatever, and brand new book and they're doing a whole session on the review of this book but it's the same time that i'm giving my paper <laughs> i'm sorry i'm gonna have to cut my lecture short because i'm going over here <laughs> to hear this review anyway hang on just you know, a get wait you're giving a lecture at the sbl i thought you're yeah. giving, oh okay for some reason i thought you're giving a lecture well at the, a paper, it's a paper it's not really a lecture but so this is this is very exciting for us. The day when the SBL uh, uh, catalogs come, you know, this is uh, all the all the different lectures that are going on at the SBL meeting. We should get our ETS one soon too, so they go uh, back to back. I don't know what we're doing. Uh, we'll probably broadcast from Atlanta the week that we're gone. This is just you know, and I've uh, a couple years ago it was in Atlanta, and uh, we're staying at the same hotel. It's at the same hotel. It's very cool. For someone who's lazy like myself and doesn't like to walk, it's awesome because uh, our hotel room is above where everything is. So all we have to do is get into the hotel, or get into the elevator, press the down button, and boom, we open up into the, the conference. And the other great part is, is that our hotel is connected by Skybridge to a mall, so we don't even have to go outside to eat. We never have to go outside in Atlanta. I love it. Awesome. <laughs> Second praise report. So I we got the we got the uh, we got the soundboard. That was uh, you know one of the wonder wonderful things. It's time to meet our Creator. Hail to thee, O Lord. Actually, it's pronounced Lloyd. All these years we've been saying it wrong. Okay, so we got that. I got the SVL handbook. Uh, I don't know if you can call it a handbook. That's me accidentally dropping it. Um, and then, check this out. Um, this is a long time coming. We've been trying to save and save and save, and somebody finally just said, hey, you know what? Here, 
go buy yourself or go buy Caleb a new uh, computer for editing. And so I have today, it should be arriving in the mail today, my new Mac Pro. I don't even know what it is. It's like, I didn't, I didn't purchase it. I didn't do it. It's a, it's a quad. So, so Caleb, does, does this mean that the Rob and Caleb shows are going to be better now? Mm, well, if we step up our game, that that's not going to happen. Uh, so and then and then last praise report before we go on here. I know we've been yapping it up here for a few minutes, but uh, I got this new thing called the iRig Mic Studio the other day. This is really cool. I just sent a link to uh, to Rob uh, right before the show. Basically, what this is 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 a, is a it's a studio grade microphone that plugs directly into my iPhone. So when we're at the ETS SBL, I'll be able to pull out this microphone and just do, uh, you know, do my interviews whenever, wherever I want to. It records directly onto my my phone, which is super awesome. And I, it's a good enough mic that I can actually set it up and I, I, I can record like an album, a cello album if I want to in my living room. It's that good. It's going to be sweet. Very excited. I, I think that uh, Chillub should be the name of your first album. Okay. Well, that's going to be a working title. I We'll, we'll see. <laughs> okay, let's move on to the uh, topic at hand. If you haven't noticed, for, for, those, for the 51 people who are signed up to receive our show notes, uh, we, I basically just sent out the same show notes as last, last week. And I did that because we still have not gotten to the ultimate topic that we've been trying to get to for the past two weeks. Past two weeks, we've talked about Itzhak Shapira's book, Return, The Return of the Kosher Pig. Now, I should say this. I got an email. Last week, somebody sent me a, uh, a Messiah journal from FFOZ, and it had a, an article on Return of the Kosher Pig, which I actually really enjoyed. I was very happy that this person sent it to me. Um, I said something last week. I think the person got a little offended because I made it very clear that we are in no way associated with FFOZ. So I think this person thought that I was saying, like, why would you send this to me? That's not what I was saying at all. Uh, you know, a lot of people don't realize, my father was the theological editor for uh, FFOZ for quite some time. That relationship ended up dissolving and falling apart when FFOZ changed their theological stance and flip-flopped on one Torah theology in general, okay? And so... Uh, that's when the, the relationship between, uh, the two groups kind of dissolved. Now there's no, I wouldn't say that there's like horrible blood or anything between the two groups. Um, you know, I, I still, uh, I'm still friends with, uh, Toby Janicki on Facebook and, uh, I enjoy seeing his posts. I, uh, you know, I follow, uh, Boaz Michael on Twitter. Uh, so, you know, it's, it's not like, uh, we hate the guys or anything like that. Uh, but theologically, we had to we had to separate from them. So people still call us on like a weekly basis, asking us like, "Oh, I saw the, you know I saw your guys' latest article in Messiah Journal," and we're like, "No, I don't know what you're talking about." People still think the FFOZ and Torah Resource are somehow inter interrelated, you know. Or people will call and be like, "Hey, do you guys still sell you know uh, Torah Club or whatever?" And it's like we've never sold that, you know. So. Even though the relationship dissolved between uh, my father and FFOZ years and years ago, I have to constantly restate to people that we are not associated with FFOZ in any way, shape, or form. So uh, to the person and to everyone, I just want to let uh, you know, if you ever want to send me articles by FFOZ, 
uh, please feel free because we'll take any uh, suggestions or anything that you want us to talk about on this show. We'll take all the all the material you send us and, and consider it. Um, so anyway, with that out of the way, uh, we've been talking about the return of the kosher pig by Rabbi quote Rabbi Itzhak Shapira. I don't know if uh, Itzhak Shapira actually uh, became a rabbi through a non-believing system or not. Um, maybe he did. I don't know. Anyway, not the point. So what is the big deal with uh, Return of the Kosher Pig? Here is what we've set up thus far. In the past, it's taken us two shows to do this. We've talked about... The and I haven't even had to, I haven't had to, have to read the book. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. I'm like this. I'm like uh, just the side guy here. Well, not at all, because uh, you've basically helped us set up the idea of Mishnah and Talmud. And so, so in the beginning of this book, uh, Itzhak Shapiro says that uh, basically, although it's not on the same plane or level as the, well, maybe we should just read the quote here. He's talking about uh, uh, Mishnah, Talmud, and basically the, the, the writings of the rabbis. And we've read this quote several times, but I'll read it again. This is on page 32 of the book. Quote, it is important to clarify that the Peshat alone with the textual meaning is sufficient to address the question of the nature of the Messiah. When he says Peshat, he's talking about Pardes, which is actually a, uh, what, 13th century, 12th century yeah, yeah, it's, it's, invention. It's medieval, yeah. yeah. So he's not even talking. By well, he's this, already thinking with later hermeneutical. Yeah, he's, he's, he's gone outside of the realm of rabbinic uh, rabbinic writings of like the Mishnah Talmud era, and now he's gone into the Middle Ages and and uh, and and really kind of gone into a much later her- hermeneutic that stems out of mysticism. It doesn't. It's not stemming out of Mishnah Talmud. It's stemming out of mysticism. Okay. So anyway, and then he says, on the other hand, in in order to get a true portrait of Messiah and his identity. From a Jewish understanding, now I, I will emphasize Jewish understanding, we must consider the entire Pardes framework, especially if we are to understand Yeshua as the Messiah. So that is juxtaposed to, I don't understand how he can say Jewish understanding, and then especially if we are to understand Yeshua as the Messiah, because a Jewish understanding would never have Yeshua as the Messiah, right? Yep. Um, so anyway, because of this, we looked we started to look at rabbinical literature. Yeah, there's no. In other words, what you, what you're saying is there's no assertion in any rabbinic ancient rabbinic literature that Yeshua is anything other than a heretic, um, correct? False teacher, leader of uh, leading Israel astray, etc. Now. Yes, exactly. And and uh, now I understand what he's trying to do here. He's trying to reach the the Jews, the Jewish people on a level that is their own level, okay? He's trying to come to the level of of rabbinical writing. Uh he's trying to prove the Messiah what he's trying to do actually in this book and the subtitle does it perfectly. It's called The Divine Messiah in Jewish Thought. So what he's doing is he's going into rabbinical writing and he's trying to show that the that that uh, the the Jewish the Jewish rabbis have always believed that there would be uh, a divine Messiah, that the Messiah in some way would be divine. That's what he's trying to do. Okay, so I'm not necessarily saying that there, there's a lot of people who do this. It's not just it's not just uh, 
you know, Shapira who, who does this. We've seen tons of different people trying to go into the Hasidic uh, groups and whatnot and prove from their own writings that Yeshua is, uh, you know, that, that, that the Jews have believed in a divine Messiah all along. Okay, is there a problem with this just on the surface? trying to prove with their own writings that the Jewish people would always have always believed that the Messiah would be in some way divine. Yeah, I think that's a, yeah, there's no way you can prove that because it's, it's not, we have 2000 years of Jewish tradition that, uh, has at least in some streams rejected that idea as, as, as a possibility. So we can't say, this is actually a, a, an interesting alley to go down because uh, my father wrote a book, uh, his book on uh, Intro to Christology. Now, what he does is he actually went back into, uh, now this is for different reasons, but he goes back into some of the uh, pre-Yeshua era writings and, into, uh, and even into the Qumran scrolls uh, to see whether or not they were anticipating a divine messiah. Before the coming of the Messiah. And what he argues is that, yes, some forms of Judaism within uh, the first century and prior to the first century were, in fact, looking for a divine Messiah. This is important, though. That, that's an important point for... Uh, but that's a, that's a different approach. That's, I agree. That doesn't sound like the approach that's in this book you're talking about. He's not, he's not citing... See, someone who thinks in terms of chronology would say, okay, well, let's look to Jewish texts from the Second Temple period before, right, before the time of Yeshua. And let's look at that. But that would be what someone who's thinking, okay, things happen in order, there's history, there's a timeline, there's development. But that's not what's happening. What's happening, people are taking post-Christian texts and trying to say because of using this this idea of oral tradition they're trying to smuggle it in and for us so to treat it as if it was uh, on the same uh, table as the Jewish text produced before the apostolic writings were before Yeshua uh, ministry and that's just that's not just weights and majors they're transgressing it uh, the basic principle of Torah God it says God hates a, a, a skewed Scale, and that's what right, they're doing. They're that. they're skewing the scale. Now, in terms of conversation starter, let's just say just to start a conversation. I think you could say, "Well, look, here's an example. I'll just give you an example that just came to mind." Some some uh, groups will say, "Oh, you know, Isaiah fifty three is just talking about Israel." Well, someone could say, you know what, if I was talking to an Orthodox Jew who, who said that to me, yeah, Isaiah 53 is about Israel. It's not about what you Christians say. I would say, well, it says in the Talmud, I would say, is the Bavli, you know, the Babylonian Talmud important to you? Yes. Oh, yeah. That's, that's the standard for all, all our halakha and our life. Well, in the Babylonian Talmud, it, there is, now it's albeit small, but there is a reference to Isaiah 53 as talking about the Messiah. Now, that doesn't mean it's talking about the same checklist of what constitutes Messiah as what as, as Yeshua's life and enacting for us what, what true Messiah is. But it is a, a statement that is contrary to their 
to that claim that Isaiah 53 has always been understood as talking to Israel. So there are places where you can uh, engage rabbinic literature for those who hold it as very valuable in the conversation. I think I think it has a place in the conversation. Sure, absolutely. But, and, and and I would even say that we, we did that. Okay, so I, I did mission work down t- uh, to Manti, Utah to try to convert Mormons, which is almost a lost cause. But we did it anyway, and, and the Lord can work on whoever he wills. And actually, one of the things that we did was we, we used the Pearl of Great Price, the Doctrines and Covenants, and the teachings of Joseph Smith the Prophet. We took those writings because they hold them as sacred. And what we did was we, we basically used those, but we used them in a different way, I think. The way that we used them was we showed how Joseph Smith constantly contradicted himself. Yeah, exactly. And in other words, if you start that way, and I was talking with uh, Spike about this at family camp. Spiros Pissaris. Yeah, one of the great ones is you, uh, arguments that he showed me that I wasn't aware of. You go to their, their they have the quad, the four-volume, it's like a giant yeah. book, right? Yeah. Okay. That, the the, the, that, the Mormon them, missionaries stole that from me. I had one. Okay, well, <laughs> if you go to how they define grace in the dictionary that's in the middle, it is amazing. And you, you could read that and show them, wow, okay, this is works righteousness. You don't get grace until you're perfect. And you can use that as a springboard. But, but so you're using their text, but your trajectory is pulling them out of that text world, pulling, pulling them out of the universe that they're inhabiting in their mind. Okay, what I get, now granted, again, I haven't read Shapiro's book, but I've heard enough, I think, to make the generalization that he seems to be affirming rabbinic yeah, literature and that's what I'm as getting. it stands. Yeah. He's, not, he's not telling them to... It's different. It's different than what you're doing with the Mormons. And this is the problem. This is the problem that I see is exactly what you just said. It'd be one thing if he said, "Look, let's go. Let's go into the rabbinic, uh, go, uh, the, the rabbinic writings and and uh, show how uh, you know there are some contradictions here of of the idea of Messiah and who he will be and those kind of things." And then he used that that showed the contradictions and then said, "Okay, now take that." Do with it what you will in your own mind as a Jew or as a believer. Now let's look at what the Messiah actually is according to the Gospels. That would be one thing. That's not what Itzhak Shapira does here. In fact, I would argue just the, the opposite. So Here's one other, one other point. This was the one I was thinking about last week. In the Babylonian Talmud, there's a dispute about a halakha between... Beit Shammai and Beit Hillel, who are imagined by the Babylonian rabbis as being the main Jewish schools of thought in the first century. Now, mind you, these, the, the conversation is taking place in Persian Babylon, you know, in the 400s and 500s is when this is being imagined. So it's, it's not that it's historical, but they're imagining, they're telling stories about, oh, Beit Shammai, Beit Hillel. And there was an issue about Halakha. Well, they hear a, they hear a solution that says a voice from heaven, a bat kol, announces Elu elu divrech uh, Elohim chayim, which means these and these are words of the living God. And the, the halakha kabeit halel. And the halakha is according to beit halel. So the, they hear a heavenly voice that says, oh, both sides of the dispute, this is all words of the living God and, or but, the Holocaust according to this side of the controversy, but it's all the words of the living God. Okay, that's a powerful statement. That's in the Babylonian Talmud in, in Erevin, Erevin 13b, uh, if you want to look it up. 
that's another thing. Like if if Shapira, you you quoted him saying, "Well, we don't take oral tradition at the same level as scripture." Okay. Well, if I look at the oral tradition, at what he's calling oral Torah, and I go to the Babylonian Talmud and I open up to Erevin thirteen uh, B and I show him, it says Yatza Bakol Vemra. A Bakol came and said, "Elu Elu Divrei Elohim Chaim Hen." These these are the words of the living God. I would say, is that a true statement in the Talmud? And if he said no, then I'd say, okay, so you're just, how do you know what Talmud you're going to believe and what not? And if he says yes, then I say, okay, then you can't do you can't have that statement and believe that you're that it's less than the word of the living God. In other words, if the Talmud testifies that the the halakha is the word of the living God, then who is a person who believes that? Who are they to say it is of less value than the Tanakh? Right? Are you following me here? Yeah, of course. So I think these people dabble. I think they're re- they dabble in religious or, or they dabble in rabbinic literature. They have varying levels of competency in Hebrew, maybe a little bit of Aramaic. But in the end... It's like the bumper sticker, Yod Tav Vav Tav. In the end, they're selling that bumper sticker. I think you just use the Bible, do whatever the hell you like. Well, there's more to it than that. And uh, people, <laughs> there's might, always more. There, people, yeah, people might think that we're picking on Shapira here. And maybe that's true. I am picking on Shapira. And the reason why is... We, are we picking on the guy with the bumper sticker? No. In both cases, we can say, look... The guy's wrong. I'm assuming you have a good intention here. I'm assuming that you are wanting to you are you are wanting to challenge the status quo. You're wanting to produce a product and get it out there to get people thinking, and that there's good intention in that. We can I can affirm that for this book. I can affirm that for that bumper sticker. But there is in both instances, they're they're short circuiting a critical aspect of disciple of oh. our discipleship. Okay, I agree with you, but th- but here's the difference between between Itzhak Shapira's book and that bumper sticker. When I see that bumper sticker, what I think is somebody doesn't know their Hebrew well. That's that's too bad. They made a bunch of bumper stickers. They don't know their Hebrew well. They should be corrected. When I read Itzhak Shapira's book, what I think is this is blasphemy. I don't th- okay. I don't okay. think to myself, wow, he screwed up. And I, I mean, I, in in all honesty, I think that Shapira's intentions are probably very good. Well, that's what I mean. Can't we just say they both have good intentions? No, we but can't. They both have a bad product. No, we can't because Shapira's book it it goes beyond just having a bad intention. Yes, he screwed up, and his intention might be you good. Mean, you mean bad product? A bad product. Yeah, his his intention is good. Okay, I'm sure. I'm sure that his heart's probably in the right place. But what he's doing is he's selling blasphemy to people. The bumper sticker you're selling ignorance to people. Okay, this, let's talk about the because we that's the blasphemy issue that you're bringing up is something we haven't really talked about yet. We've talked about the method. We've talked about correct. and what to, how does rabbinic literature fit into our thought world in our discussion? Um, but now, so unpack that a little bit. Okay, so within this book, Shapiro gets specifically into two two different as well one main aspect, which is the the Kabbalah. So he he starts referencing the Insof. And if you don't know, okay, let's talk about this a little bit beforehand. And actually, I pulled one clip. I have one clip here. 
this is from a gentleman. We've talked, uh, we've dialogued with this gentleman through emails on this show before. Marty Hertz is a guy who, uh, when we were doing the shows on where's the the temple, he argues that the temple is was actually originally standing in in uh, the valley, which is next to the Temple Mount. I think he's totally wrong, but neither here nor there. He's he's got some interesting views. So this is what he has to say about Talmud and the the Kabbalah. Well, I am not uh, I am not one who's going to sit here and agree with with those who say that the um, the Talmud is evil. It was written by demons, and the Kabbalah or Zohar is even worse. It was written by worse demons, and it should be not touched or looked at, lest a lightning bolt come and strike you. Okay, I agree with him. I don't think that the Talmud was written by demons. I don't think that the Kabbalah was Does, written by... Are there by, people that say that? I don't know. I've or never is heard, a straw man? It's a straw just, man. I think it's just, a straw man. Just, okay. I've, I've, never, I've never heard anyone say that, that, that it was written by demons. I will say this. I think that the, that the, the, the Kabbalah is certainly uh, has demonic influence in terms of it, it's, it's certainly attached to the occult. There's no doubt about it. I don't think that you can talk about God in the way that the Kabbalah talks about God and not ha- and not say that there is something evil about it. That's all there is to it. That because they say that when the you know uh, so basically the Zohar came about. Let's actually do do due diligence here in talking about the Zohar and all these kind of things. Okay, so the it came about in uh, the 13th century, 12th 13th century, uh, and I mean, I don't even know where to start. Help me out here, Rob. Where where should we start with this? Well, I mean, the, how the in Zohar, depth do we want to get? It's not a book. Yeah, it's, a, it's the Zohar is not a book initially. Initially, it's a person's writing out these uh, small sections of commentary on the Torah and distributing them out. Wait, Remember, hang, 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 hang on, hang on. The, the Kabbalah is not a book, but the Zohar is. No, the Zohar is not a book initially. It's someone who's who's distributing these these handwritten uh, segments, and then later someone's gathering those and they put them together and they set up up a printing press, and and start printing it as a quote book, but it's really a collection. And there's there's all sorts of things they had to select from to decide whether or not this belonged in the quote Zohar or not. But okay. the Zohar, okay, but lure, uh, the, person lure. To, the person to read about this is Israeli scholar uh, Boaz Hus. Read Boaz Hus uh, on the making of the Zohar. He's he's Israeli. I think he's at uh, university. He's in like in the Negev. What's the university down there? Um, anyway, some of his works in Hebrew. He has some work in English, but the Zohar was not like a book that was just written and put on the market. No, but there was one specific book that really kicked it off. Well, the, there's the Bahir. Are you talking about the Sefer Bahir? Is there, yeah, it's a it's a the Jewish mystical tradition that becomes known as like the Zohar and later Kabbalah is really starts to really flourish in Spain in you know the 1200s. Um, Luria Luria is the guy who essentially wrote the first. I mean, he changed. The no, he, well, he he interpreted the Zohar a couple hundred years later. Yeah, and and that's and he what, said he he said uh, he said he basically told people that unless you 
follow the Zohar according to the way I interpret it, that you then you don't really understand it. But that's he comes after the printing press. I think by the time Luria is on the scene, some of the Zohar not only had been printed, but had been translated into Latin, and available Christians are reading it at that time. So uh, Latin-speaking Christians in Europe are reading translations of the Zohar before, or at, at, at kind of in the same era that Luria is in Safed teaching his... Uh, <clears throat> And they're kind of those those guys basically created kind of like you know like the Catholic monks that have the special secret groups and then they do the yeah uh, they beat themselves and yep. stuff yeah okay the, these rabbis at Svat did the same kind of thing well they, they would go out and roll in the snow they would do they did body ascetic body uh, punishments and disciplines uh, as a try of atonement for sin it's what? very it's kind of like is it uh, Meg what's the uh, you have you you have the same what's the one in the Da Vinci movie. Opus. Oh yeah, yeah, I know who you're talking about—the guy who whips himself. Yeah, he's part of this order. Okay, well, it, it, what's these early? Well, at least in the, the 1600s in Sfat or Safed, those those ascetic rabbis, from which later stems a lot of the Hasidic stuff, they were kind of like a Catholic order of monks that, yeah, engaged in those kinds of. Atone, what they th- thought were atoning body uh, punishments and things like that. Uh, anyway, so there's yeah, there's but okay, you have you have crazy you, history. You have the you have the birth of Hasidic Judaism out of out of the Baal Shem Tov. For those who might not know, the Baal Shems were not the Baal Shem Tov was a Baal Shem. The Baal Shems were were essentially witch doctors. That's what they did. If you if you had a sick child, what'd you do? You called your Baal Shem for that community. He would come over, he'd throw some chicken bones into a little bowl and and you know, a little bit of blood. He'd mix them all up. He'd you know, he'd sprinkle the blood over your kid or whatever, you know, whatever. All these kinds of weird, you know, uh incantations and all this kind of stuff. And then what happened? Your kid got better. They were witch doctors, and they prided themselves on but that. But see, Caleb, when you say that, you are you start offending. I don't care who those I offend. Committed to Hasidism. I don't care. Okay, I know you don't care. My point is this: though. this is another. This is a prime opportunity by where another a person will reject history, reject facts, and then claim anti-Semitism. Well, it okay. the The point is, is that you can read. In the uh, Jewish encyclopedia, you can read in, I mean, all these kinds well, of... here you go. So here's another example. You go to a Jewish source. <laughs> yeah, but I'm going... It. Okay, but I'm, what I'm doing is I'm going to, to show history. And the history oh, is exactly. the history exactly. is that the, that the Baal Shems were witch doctors. That's what they did. They highly believed in amulets. They were rejected by the, Jewish, by the, by the extant Jewish communities of that time as magicians and of the occult. They were rejected, and the Mitnagadim came up and said, "No, this is witchcraft. These people need to be re- rejected." But what happened? The the uh, the mystics basically swept over European Jewry and engulfed it, and people turned to and we see this even in modern Judaism today within Orthodox Judaism and whatnot. There's still some people who outright reject the mystical teachings. Okay. But, yeah, like and th- those are going to be the Rambamites, those yeah, who follow yeah. uh, Maimonides. But you are going to be the anti 
Kabbalah anti-mysticism. But you still see you still see that even within those who aren't quote unquote mystics, you see the influence of this mysticism within many forms of Judaism today. If you go to a reform synagogue or a uh, conservative synagogue, many of these people still have the Hamza, the hand with the eye in it. What is that? That's an amulet. It's supposed to protect your your house from evil spirits. It's supposed to ward off the evil spirits. Where does that come from? That comes from mysticism. This comes from, you know, uh, basically compilations of books that make up the Zohar and all these kind of things, okay? So within this system of mysticism, what do you have? You have the Ein Sof, and you have these teachings about God, which are highly heretical, that are not found anywhere in the Bible, and they teach that God, uh, in the beginning, he, I mean, it's so weird, but he, he emanated in different uh, forms and, uh, there were these vessels they, that couldn't hold the emendations and one of them broke. These are the shards, which are God. We're all, we're all, we're not all God, but God is all, uh, is in all of us essentially, or uh, vice versa. I'm sorry. God isn't in everything. Everything is actually in God. And that includes evil. So the problem of evil arises because actually God, you know, it's the, these vessels that couldn't be, uh, that couldn't contain God. All these things are highly heretical, okay? And what Itzhak Shapira does in this book is he takes Kabbalah and he says, look, it's just, it's just Yeshua. The same thing is taught in the Gospels. But this is what really, really gets me. And this is this is why I say that it's blasphemy. And this is initially I contacted Itzhak Shapira over an issue about something about this, not knowing that it was in his book that he taught it. And he said, "Go read my book. This should clarify some things." Um, so um, let me find it real quick here. The prayer mentioned the name Sar Hapanim. As the tie, this is a quote from page two twenty nine of Itzhak Shapira's book, Return of the Kosher Pig. The prayer mentioned the same the, the name Sar Hapanim as the title that is given to Yeshua. In addition, the prayer mentions another minister or angel who is called Metatron. As we will shortly learn, Metatron and Sar Hapanim are the exact same entity as the Messiah himself. In essence, it is because of the Metatron, who is called Yeshua, the Prince of the Presence, and Metatron that our prayers will be received by God. In your show notes, okay, so uh, basically then he spends the next, I don't know how many uh, pages, explaining how Metatron and Yeshua are in fact the same. We can also bring the testimony of Rabbi Shimshon as, as he mentions an angel who is called Yehoshua, long form of Yeshua. The task of this angel is to protect the righteous ones who go down to hell to restore the souls of the wicked. Yeshua of Nazareth said the same about himself. And he quotes a passage of scripture. Um, this, my friends, okay, and then look at this. This is why you have all those in your show notes. This is why you have all these uh, these different uh, passages. Shapira uh, then takes, and I'm sure he's taking this from rabbinical sources, but then he takes Genesis 17.1. And when Abraham was 90 years old and nine, the Lord appeared to Abram 
and said unto him, I am God Almighty, El Shaddai, walk before me and be thou wholehearted. He says this is Metatron. Anywhere where El Shaddai is uh, mentioned, I think he equates to Metatron. He uh, says Genesis 18.1, El Shaddai is Metatron. In Genesis 22.11, Metatron. Genesis 32.31, Metatron. And again, in Exodus 23.20-21, Metatron. Here's the problem, is that you don't find any mention of Metatron in the Torah whatsoever. And let's talk about Metatron for a few seconds. Many of you might be wondering, who in the world is Metatron and why, why am I so upset about it? Um, so I wrote a paper for, uh, for Rob's class, one of Rob's classes, on this subject long before I knew people were actually equating Metatron with the Messiah. Okay? Um, I'm going to read just a couple of excerpts from this. Um... So basically we have in Genesis 4 through 5, uh, Enoch is the seventh generation. And uh, now why am I talking about Enoch? This will all tie together. Moses tells us that, uh, uh, that all six generations before Enoch died. But when we get to Enoch, it says that he walked with God and was not for God took him. That's in Genesis 5.24. Okay, so what happens? The very first mention that we have of Metatron is in three is in three Enoch, which is a uh, rabbinical source. It's Rabbi Ishmael. He says he went to heaven. He saw uh, the he he saw he talked with God. All these kind of things. So I'll read just a little excerpt from my actual paper that I wrote on this. We are told in three Enoch three that Enoch ascended to heaven and was named Metatron. So what you have already, okay, at the very first instance of Metatron, is you have Enoch who we see in the Bible, Enoch is a man. He's born to a father and a mother. He's the seventh generation from Adam, right? He's a man. Now we're told in the apostolic scriptures that he didn't die. He was taken up. Okay. Fair enough. Uh, But then three Enoch tells us that he actually became Metatron. So now he's not Enoch anymore. He's Metatron. Three Enoch is a book written in the fourth to fifth century by Rabbi Ishmael, who was supposedly t- uh, no, no, it's not. It's someone who's who claims, claims to be. so. It's a pseudepigraphic. Uh, yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, heaven and confronted by Metatron, who is called Prince of the Divine Presence, and is said to be quote greater than all the angels, more beloved than all the ministers, and more honored than all the hosts, and elevated over all potentence in a sovereignty, greatness, and glory. That's 3 Enoch 4.1. As can already be seen in the biblical figure and had progressed from a mention in the Torah to a writer of a popular book in the first century to an angel that had been given the name based on the Tetragrammaton, that is the four-letter name of God, yod and said to be the prince of the divine presence by the 4th to 5th century. Already this figure seems to be taking on divine attributes, so I agree that Metatron takes on divine attributes, but as time went on, so did the development of this angelic figure. Quote, He, that is Metatron, is the garment of Shaddai, i.e. the visible manifestation of the deity. His name is numerically equivalent to that of the Lord. He governs the visible world, preserves the unity, har- uh, the unity, harmony, and the revolutions of all the spheres, planets, and heavenly bodies, and is the captain of the myriads of the angelic hosts. What is this? What is this? In why? Why are they writing this? In my opinion, three Enoch, and the appearance of Metatron being given a name above all names, being the mediator between God and man. 
This is an answer to you, to the Christians. This is an answer to Yeshua. They got this guy that they say they have this personal relationship with. He's the mediator between God and man. He's actually somewhat divine. He's given this name that's above all names. What does this sound like? It sounds exactly like what the Christians have been preaching the whole time about Yeshua. This is an answer to Yeshua from the non-believing Jews. And not only that, but to say that Yeshua is Metatron is to say that Yeshua is a man. To say that he was born as Enoch that became a man. How is this not blasphemy? How is that not taking the name of our Messiah Yeshua, God on earth, and demoting it to something else? Doesn't this tick anyone else off except for me? I mean, I read this in his book and I just thought, this is absolute trash. It really, really upset me. Because because what he's doing is he's telling other believers who have no clue, you know, there are people sitting in there, you know, I... I see the housewife who picks up Return of the Kosher Pig and says, oh, this is great. This man's from Israel. He speaks Hebrew as his native language. And she's reading along and she says, oh, I've never heard of Metatron before, right? And now what is she thinking? Oh, Jesus and Metatron are the same. She has no clue about the history. And you know what? Itzhak Shapira should know better. He's done the research. How I mean, help me out here, Rob. What do you think? Well, I just I just did a quick search in my Hebrew on you know my or my uh, it's called the Judaic Classics. Yeah. So it's just all these Hebrew texts. the The earliest I can find is Baal Haturim. In terms of the the number equivalency, he so he lives in the twelve hundreds, I think, and he in his commentary on Genesis, he's big into Gematria. In in his commentary on Genesis, he says that Shaddai is the gematria for Metatron. So in other words, it's, and it, it, uh, it works out that Shin, Dalit, Yod, Shin, which is the word Shaddai, is 314. And then Metatron, if you spell it Mem, Tet, Tet, Reish, Vav, Nun, is also 314. So it's the word Shaddai that has a... Uh, gematrical uh, value equivalency with the name Metatron. And so that, for, for Baal Haturim, which is uh, his name, what's his name? Joseph Ar- Arba or something. I don't remember his, his real name. They call him Baal Turim. Um, that's, that's what anchors that equation of Enoch with Metatron. But, but yeah, it, so then Shapiro then, would he reject this would he say that because Shapira's not saying that Enoch is Yeshua, is he? No, he'd say that again. He, Shapira wants Metatron to be Yeshua, but he he's not saying that Enoch is, is he? No, is, I, I, well, I don't know. No, that's not what I'm getting. What I'm getting is he's saying that, and th- that makes me he, so, there's, so there's, words, there's also, no reference. So while, while, let me just make this help me out here. <clears throat> If Shapira is saying that Yeshua is Metatron and that Metatron is Yeshua, is he also rejecting rab- uh, rabbinic oral folk tales 
that Metatron is Enoch? Is he rejecting the, is he replacing the claim? Is he saying, you rabbis like Paul Turim and all you mystics who equate Enoch with Metatron, you guys are wrong. No, that's not what he's saying. Metatron is really Yeshua. No, what he's saying is, you're right, Metatron is God. No, the tradition that says Metatron is Enoch. I don't know. Is he, he rejecting he doesn't, that? He doesn't even mention it. He doesn't even mention it. See, he sweeps that, un, uh, yeah, he he sweeps sweeps that, that under the rug. Because <clears throat> that's Zohar, that's Balturine. I yeah. should say I haven't seen where he has said that. I've read a significant portion of this whole, uh, you know. I, I haven't found any mention of Enoch whatsoever within. Uh, What's funny is Metatron is a Greek word, too. Yeah, but that, but but this all plays Which is just kind of strange. But this all plays into Shapira's, you know, what he's saying is, look, you know, is uh, the Jewish people have have already equated uh, this this person Metatron with uh, with a with a deity, with deity, with God. Okay, so it's already God. Um. But what he's saying is, is that, okay, in this one later prayer that we find, Metatron is also equated with Yeshua. That's what he's saying. And so he's saying, they didn't even know it, but, but uh, they've been preaching Yeshua as Messiah this whole time. So no mention of, of Metatron being Enoch. You know, it's like he's picking and choosing what rabbinical... Uh, what rabbinical uh, folk tales he wants to believe. Oh, it's in the Zohar? Sure, I'll accept that as scripture. Oh, it's in 3 Enoch? Let's not mention it. I, I just don't... Yeah, I, I, don't, I don't understand. I, I, I don't get how people have not cried foul on this with loud voices. Yeah. So, and I just wanted to point out the Book of Enoch because it's in the going on in the in the forum. The Book of Enoch does not. Th- there's Enoch. Uh, Different book. Yeah. It's books. A- yeah. So the third Enoch. People think Book of Enoch, and they just put it all together. Uh, but no, that that the Enoch that Caleb that you're talking about, what we call Third Enoch, was not written until the Talmudic era. Yeah, we're talking it's, four, it's, four, five, six yeah, hundred. You don't. We we don't read that as if that was good in the first century. It sounds like some people might be reading a source similar to Shapira that are confusing this issue. Um, that it's the the people who are coming and they don't have a framework of wisdom. They don't have a grounded. They're not building on rock. Rather, they're built. They're they're fooling around with building on sand, and it's really that should scare us. We don't. We don't want to invest all our life and all our energy that we have in our in this limited lifetime that we have uh, speculating and building on sand. You know, it, you could, people spend their whole careers building on sand and then it, it, it's gone and, it, and it's washed away. We want to build on rock. And that means we have to have one foot grounded in historical. When, and the Bible itself trains us. That's why we have book of first and second Samuel, book of first and second Kings. First and Second Chronicles. These are uh, they train us to think in terms of chronological development over time. That's what the, when we read the Tanakh, it trains us to think about history. I don't just I'm not just zero right into David and Bathsheba, right? No, we're told about David, his whole uh, his earlier life. We're told we're told about 
Samuel in front of him. And, and we're told about uh, Samuel's mother. So, in other words, the Bible teaches us to see things in larger historical narrative timelines. And what I see with Shapira and some of the people who are quick to quote rabbinic stuff, they short-circuit that. Yeah. They, they want to find the bumper sticker thing they can sell, and they, they do damage to the, to the important biblically uh, founded principle of historical timeline. So, Sarah, uh, I'm sorry, Stephanie in the uh, chat room says, when Metatron ever considered a Messiah figure? Yes and no. It's reversed because Enoch comes along. He doesn't die. He, be, he all of a sudden is given a name which is above all name. He's the host, the head of the angels, okay? And essentially, he helps rule under the name yod as an angel, not as the Messiah who comes to earth. But he's fighting the war. He's fighting the angelical war in the uh, in the in the heavenly places, um, so uh, Messiah figure. It depends what you mean by that. Yes, he is seen as some form of a of a savior figure, uh, but not the Messiah that comes to Earth. At least in my understanding. Um, yeah. Anyway, so I guess my whole point is this: I I think that what Shapira is ultimately trying to do is he's trying to help. Jew- Jewish non-believers see that from Jewish writings there is a divine Messiah. What he has done, maybe inadvertently, probably inadvertently, is he has taken Jewish mysticism that is, in my opinion, written as a response to Christianity. And he has applied it to the Messiah. In so doing... He has degraded the holy name of the Messiah. He has kicked dirt on uh, the theology of the apostolic scriptures. And he's done that by equating a mere man, that is Enoch, with the divine Messiah Yeshua. Now, granted, his whole book is trying to prove that Yeshua, a divine Messiah. Now, once again, last week we we, uh, played a clip well, I, I'm quite convinced that uh, Shapira is a modalist, but he firmly believes, no matter w- whether or not he's a modalist or not, he firmly believes that Yeshua is yod heh vav I'll give him that. But what what people end up doing, and I've seen this time and time again, what people end up doing, you know, th- there was uh, one guy I met who was trying to reach uh, Jewish people on, you know, w- in their writings and, and from their level and all these kind of things. And he's studying with the rabbis and he's, you know, he's, he's in their community. He's inviting rabbis to come, you know, to his church group and preach and all this kind of stuff. The question is, what good has it done? Have you brought a lot of people out of the Hasidic uh, communities into Christianity, into a, into a solid belief that Yeshua is the Messiah? No. And the same thing, the same thing I have to ask about this. What has this accomplished? What has Shapira's book accomplished? What I hear Shapira trying to do is say, what you believe is okay. You don't have to change. Don't change your thinking. Don't change what you believe. Just realize that it's Yeshua. That Yeshua is the one that you believe in. That's not the case. 
That's not, that's not, there is a change. There's a change in mindset. There's a change in theology. There's a change in sanctification. There's a change all the way around when we, when the, the Holy Spirit indwells us and we come to a true faith in the Messiah Yeshua, it changes us. Every single thing about us changes, including our theology. We don't just say, oh, well, I believed in Krishna this whole time, and now I just realized that Krishna is really Yeshua. Or I believe exactly. I or yeah, or I believed in Metatron this whole time, and now all I have to do is believe that Metatron is Yeshua. Uh, uh, yeah, it's like I have the power cable and I have the the outlet, and all I have to do is plug them in, and I'm good. Yeah, that's not how it works. You can't just say, "Oh, well, Metatron is actually Yeshua, this divine figure." That's blasphemy. That's saying that that Yeshua is. Something that he's not, first of all, and it degrades him from deity down to mere man. What what surprises me is that we haven't had heard huge outcry from the messianic community. FFOZ writes this article. They say no, the kosher pig isn't actually isn't actually uh, uh, the Messiah in rabbinical writing. Okay, fair enough. I actually probably agree with FFOZ on that. The question is, why didn't FFOZ come out saying? The idea that Shapira puts in his book that Metatron and Yeshua are one and the same is absolute nonsense. Why didn't they say that? Why hasn't the UMJC or the or the MJAA come out and said this is absolute blasphemy? Are people because this just, is a fellow Messianic rabbi that they're talking about? It, are they people have, that there's weak? Politic, there's identity politics. Involved. Who cares? Are people? No, well, they do. See, but that's yeah. just it. Is my identity is is wrapped up in the Messiah Yeshua? He comes first. He's the rabbi. And that's the point. You got all these guys going around saying, oh, my name is Rabbi blah, blah, blah. No, we have one rabbi. And the and, and what Shapira has done is equated our rabbi with a mere man. Identity politics. I got identity politics. I identify with the Messiah Yeshua. And if you degrade that, I'm going to have issue with you. Right? I mean, how does the UMJC and the MJAA not come out and say, "Hey, we have an identity politics. We have identity politics, and this guy's degrading the the Messiah Yeshua. Maybe he's not doing it on purpose, but he is." <clears throat> yep. This really, really boils my blood. Uh, all right, gotta calm down, drink some water or something. Anyway. Um, so I, uh, before we take off, I should say this, um, we, um, we had some good interaction on a, uh, on a video that we posted. Actually, it was a week when you weren't here, Rob, my dad and I did a, things Q- always go well <laughs> when Rob's away. No, there were, we had a Q and a, and, uh, we played a clip. It was like a 10 minute segment. We played a clip of this guy that I'd never heard of before. And uh, I had actually emailed him for clarification on something that he had said. And I, I don't know if it's his secretary or if it's, uh, you know, just a friend or something that screened some of his emails. I don't know. Uh, maybe she's related to him. I have no clue. Anyway, her name's Shelly. She actually wrote in some responses to, on this video. And uh, she brought up some, some good points. She was very, very gracious in the way that she dialogued. I was pleasantly surprised about our interaction. Even though we disagreed, uh, you know, I, I, I felt like... I felt like it was a good interaction between us. Anyway, um, so I went back and I listened to this clip. And uh, 
you know, one of the main issues was something that we never actually fully addressed in that segment. And then this week I get a call from someone asking about that very same topic. So um, I think that we don't have time. I mean, it's a full show topic. So next week we'll talk about uh, the claim that some Messianics have made that uh, the Christ- those within the Christian church, those who reject Torah, reject, I'm putting that in quote marks, reject Torah, uh, actually can't be saved. And not, th- wow. not that it's a... Um, not that it's a matter of uh, of salvation by works, but rather that uh, those who are truly saved will be sanctified through the Torah, and that we will know people through the the fruits and their fruits. And if a person is not, the claim is is that if a person is not keeping Torah, which is God's way of sanctifying His elect, that uh, that proves that they are not actually saved by faith. Wow, in the first that'll be place. a good topic. So um, that's what we're going to talk about next week. Anything else you want to say about this? I think we're closing the book. We're closing the book on Return of the Kosher Pig. I think what I might do, I might post some of this Enoch equals Metatron stuff just from the some of these rabbinic sources. I think that I'll pick on the Baal Turim because he's one of the early ones here and show how they use gematria. Gematria is a, is a legitimate, for them, a legitimate means of acquiring knowledge and insight. Um, and that's we have to we have to reject that uh, belief. Um, so the equation of Metatron with Enoch, um, and and these heavenly beings has a, a, this element of gematria in there, which is which is uh, <laughs> well put, friend. Good. Okay, well uh, I guess we'll we'll end there. Hey, we hope that you enjoyed this conversation. It's been a three-week series on uh, Return of the Kosher Pig. If you have questions, comments, anything that you want to say, or if you have a new topic or articles that you want to send us, that you want us to comment on, you can do so by emailing us radio. Oh, no, I actually, uh, we changed it. Seahag at TorahResource.com or rvanhoff at TorahResource.com You can always comment on our Facebook page it's facebook.com backslash the Rob and Caleb show. And yeah, we love hearing from you. So uh, give us a call. Hey, uh, I just want to say Yeshua is not Metatron. But what we do want to do is glorify our great God and Savior, Yeshua, not Metatron, the Messiah.